How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked On Thunder is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can head on to iTunes and search Locked On Thunder to subscribe to the podcast. You can leave a review there as well. You can find the show and any other Locked On podcast. So if you're a Heat fan, Locked On Heat, Nuggets fan, Locked On Nuggets, and so on, on audioboom.com as well. Uh, we've been doing this every day since starting about five weeks ago. Changing it up now. I'm on every day through Friday, but next week, just one show. It's obviously starting to die down. That's going to be on Thursday, August 4th. After that, going to two shows a week through the middle of September. That'll be on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. If you subscribe, I'll be on your phone. You'll still be able to receive those the exact same way. We're just going to two a week until the season actually starts because there's not that much news now. But let's get to the show from CBS Sports joining me today. A man who is taking a break from tweeting, which is which is really a big deal for him. Matt Moore. What's hey, up? I'll have I'll have you know that I spent the day hiking with a one month old in the Rocky Mountain National Park and barely tweeted at all today. Wow. So there well, you go. How many how many tweets for you though is is barely tweeting? Uh, how many did I do today? I I plugged the column. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 27, 28, 29, 30, Oh, my 30, gosh. 30, 34. You know, 30, 34 is, like, not that bad. I probably do 34 a day or something like that, but... It sounds day, bad. It, it doesn't. It doesn't sound it, good. It doesn't sound... I mean, look, for you, it's nothing, but, but that, that's, like... That's like an hour's worth for you. You're like, you know, do you follow Larry King? Yes, I do. You know, when Larry King does, does it's my two cents and just right. like goes like every minute just has a new random tweet. Yep. I, I feel like you're Larry King and, and it's my two cents all the time. All the time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, people are like, how can you possibly tweet that much? I'm like, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. And the thing is like, I like the idea of like my thoughts going out into the world and then like it being, refracted back i like that i like that experience and it's you know there, there's ego to it and there's work to it and there are very very tangible economic reasons in terms of of doing my job to do it um but in general it's just i got a lot of things people are always like i don't have that much to say and i'm like how how do you not have that much to say like if anything there are things i can't tweet about i could tweet more like there are there's so much more that i would especially right now that i would love to talk about, but I cannot, sadly. So it's just restricted to basketball. I got a lot of thoughts in my head. I, I, I'm aware of that. I've, I've been to dinner with you. I'm fully aware <laughs> of, all, of all the thoughts in your head. What's your NBA Twitter comp? I was thinking like uh, – like not, not as a tweeter. Like you tweet like who plays. I feel like you're, you're almost you're, – I don't know if you're J.R. Smith or if you're Kobe, but you're somewhere in that style realm. It depends on how good you think my tweets are. So if you think my tweets are really good, then I'm like – I'm definitely like Kobe. Um, 
or like maybe like DeMar DeRozan, right? Like a lot of mid-range jumpers, not a lot of efficiency, gets to the line, draws contact a lot. <laughs> draws a lot of contact. Um, you know, overrated defender, underrated as a playmaker. Um, I think that that's, that's a good comp for me. Um, if you do not like my tweets, then I'm Nick Young. And I'm just resolute in, in hoisting it every single time. I, I, honestly, one, well, no, I wouldn't even say that because like, I, I'm like maybe like prime Al Jefferson, kind of a black hole, but some passing ability, kind of underrated. I think, I think there's some Gilbert Arenas in there too. Yeah, I hate to go down there because he's such a, a just jerk. Yeah, he's not he's not a good person. But um, if you talk about the actual game, like yeah, there's definitely some hibachi there. I'm definitely I'm definitely like when I get on a roll tweeting, it's definitely hibachi. It's so sad how much of a jerk he is because he really was so good for 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 a good while there. Well, and he was fun. Like, the thing is, like before we knew everything about the, the players, and we really do. Like we know way more about their personalities now. Because they're all on social media, and while social media doesn't define us, God, I hope not, um, it's a reflection thereof. And so we have kind of these shades of who people are, and it's very hard for you to hide your total self. And so we have this like real identity of them. Back in like 2007, when I started blogging, like Gilbert was iconic because he only shared like only little bits and pieces about him came out, only tiny fractions of his personality. It was very crazy and weird and eccentric and that was that was really cool as an NBA fan because the league always tried to like kind of do what the what the NFL did which is like they wanted stars but they wanted everyone to be kind of like faceless like there wasn't real personality it wasn't really until the until the late 2000s and the last 6 years that we've really seen kind of these shades of true personality outside of kind of outliers like Allen Iverson yeah and you know it, it, that's something that we we saw for a long time. It, we, we sometimes get to know players better after they retire too. Like there there are a lot of guys who I feel like how many guys do we see on TV and we think like oh that guy's going to be great on TV he's hilarious and he's not and vice versa. How many times do we think someone's really boring throughout his career whether through interviews or whatever it is and then we see him on TV in his career after and we're like oh that guy is great. So so I mean I feel like I feel like sometimes the the athlete personality of like what you see in the interview rooms and that kind of stuff from afar is so, it's so different from what the actual human being is like. And then when you consume that human being's personality in greater chunks, you can really see how different it can be. I've been thinking a lot lately about the idea of conflation and about how it started with Steph because, because Steph is so good and is such a quality human being. And he really does come off that way. Anyone that has ever spoken to Steph Curry one-on-one or in a media scrum situation walks away basically like walking on sunshine. Um, because he's just like a very genuine, likable, nice young man. Or now just man. Um, but because he was so good at shooting and is one of – he is the best shooter of all time. This season in particular, we started to kind of conflate things. We started to say – like, you know, Steph Curry, well, he's definitely one of the top five best passers in the league. Well, that's just obviously not true. Like, in order to be a, a great passer, half of your passes need to actually reach the intended target. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and we started talking about, like, is his defense underrated? Because if you look at it statistically, and what he does, and, like, there are games where he is very, very good defensively, but there are a lot of games when Steph Curry is a weakness defensively. Like, that's just the reality. And we sort of start to conflate these things. And the same can be true of, like, we tend to, if somebody is a great player, we want to ascribe niceness and goodness and kindness and quality, you know, positive attributes to them. Um, 
to a degree. Like with LeBron, that's like kind of the outlier. It's what makes LeBron fascinating is that LeBron never really did outside of, of he left he left Cleveland in a very nasty way. But other than like if we take that one incident out, right? What we have is guy that loves his kids, has been a good role model for parents, has been a good role model to young guys in the league, has taken young guys under his wing and tried to help them, has given serious commitments to the communities that he has lived in, both in Cleveland and in Miami. Um, he is close. He's a good close friend to guys. He is good counsel. Um, he ha- he has presented himself in a way that he doesn't. He hasn't gotten busted for drugs. He hasn't gotten busted for um, anything that is illegal yet. Um, there is nothing that has been popped on his record of any way, and yet, like because he was so good, we ascribe negative attributes to him. Um, and so it's kind of weird, just the way that, that things get, get conflated. Like Jason Kidd's another example of this, where Jason Kidd was so good, and he's like a coach now. And so you kind of want to be like, ah, oh, this legend, this like the legendary Jason Kidd. And like anyone that knows Jason Kidd is like, he's kind of a jerk. Like he just kind of is. Like that's just like the way that he presents himself. Like Jason Kidd is not extremely well liked. Um, at, in certain circles. I don't know Jason Kidd personally, so I can't say whether or not he is. But it is interesting the way that we kind of want to conflate those things. Well, something that we do as a, as a sports-watching culture, which has always been a little bit disconcerting at times, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter and it has no effect, but other times in the more extreme scenarios, it can, it can have reverberations in the rest of culture, which is that we associate winning with character. And we associate succeeding on the field or the court or whatever it is with character. I mean, like when we talk about whenever an underdog wins, why do we say they win? They didn't win because they schemed better. We didn't win because we misevaluated them and they were better than we thought they, they, they thought or they were better than we thought they were. They won because they had more heart, right? Yep. I mean, they won because they tried harder. They played harder. They were the younger underdogs. And, and maybe that's that, like, sports movie culture, and, and that's kind of the resolution of every sports movie ever made. If you have more heart, then that's all that matters, and you're going to win. Um, and maybe it's it goes greater beyond sports and into, like, our culture of, of where we kind of have built up a culture of believing that the harder you work, the more likely you are to succeed, which isn't always true. There are very clearly other factors which come into whether whether or not you succeed, whether that's in sports or in life or whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and we associate it with character. I mean, how many times do we see a guy come back, and I, I won't even say any names because it's not necessary, but how many times do we see a guy come back from doing something despicably horrible off the court or off the field? You know, something that has nothing to do with sports, a crime or whatever it is, and they come back, and then we see the redemption stories on how they've changed their lives, right? And those don't, don't come until they have success on the field again. That's when they come. So it's, it's, it's something that we, we do this in, in sports, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird phenomenon, but we, I think we probably do it in every facet of life. It just might be the most obvious in sports because sports are one of the only parts of life. It's one of the only professions where we can actually look at a statistic and be like, okay, that guy's good. That guy's not as good. Look at the number. Yeah, it's interesting in that uh, this gets to, to kind of like a, a two kind of part thought of um, – so the word narrative got to be really negative about two years ago. It, it, on Twitter in particular, it was used as like – it basically, if you were talking about narrative, it meant something false. But um, Howard Beck is big on this idea of um, a narrative is neither true nor false. Like it's, a narrative is just a story. And to, ex- ex- to act like sports are not a story is just – it's ludicrous. Because in the end, that is what we're watching. Like we want to see individuals try and succeed or fail as part of a larger story. Like that is what sports are. 
the issue is that most oftentimes the way that these narratives present themselves, um, however that's created, whether it's just circumstance or the zeitgeist or whatever, it creates sometimes false narratives, which is what you're referring to. Um, and, and media in particular, we balk at those because we're like, that's not the truth. Like, that's not what really happened. He didn't change his ways. He's not a different person. He has not turned a corner or this isn't a bad guy. He is not a villain. This isn't hubris. This isn't karma. It's just simply these factors that are involved in a larger basketball world, which is far more complex. What's interesting from that is, is I go down that road naturally, but every now and again I stop and I ask myself this question. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Because sports are consumed. Sports are consumed on a macro scale. They're consumed in a cultural level. And to those degrees, those narratives, whether they're true or not, exist and are true for the people that experience them because they're never going to have access to the real truth of the human beings or all the complexities that most of us do. And so um, I'm actually reading Klosterman right now, his new book, and it's, it's got some interesting stuff about this, about the idea of, of dueling narratives about how they can both, in the modern era in particular because of the internet, that there aren't rival narratives. They can both coexist. And so that's kind of an interesting idea of LeBron is neither the hero nor the villain. He is the hero and the villain. Um, Kevin Durant was both right and wrong for leaving Oklahoma City. Um, Russell Westbrook is both good and bad for your team. Like all of these things are simultaneously true, and so like that whole fight feeds into the idea of of narratives and and what kind of role they play, which I'm sure most people were not expecting to encounter on a podcast about the Thunder, but here we are. <laughs> well, speaking of narratives and stories, you wrote about kind of how narratives and stories and perceptions can affect the way that we view super teams this week. And I, I thought it was a really fun read. You can go read that at cbssports.com. Uh, basically, whatever is or isn't a super team, how we view it, why we view it, basically all on that. And 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 what are the recent super teams or, or what are close to recent super teams in the league is basically what the piece is on. Your general thesis was that super teams, what makes a super team? It's about perception. It's about a way it came together as much as it's about the actual talent. And, and something I thought was interesting, you had Garnett Pierce out, the Garnett Pierce Allen Rondo Celtics team as a, as a definite super team. And from a talent perspective, that's that's clear. They won a title and that, you know, it's three first battle hall of famers there. No one really talks about them with the same rage as they talk about the Warriors or the LeBron Heat or or some of the other, you know, super teams that have come along the way. Um, you know, that maybe that, that Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Lakers team would be under that category as well. Uh, why do you think it is that people don't talk about that Celtics team with the same amount? I have my own theories I'll get to after. I want to hear your answer first. I'll, I'll, I'll hang up and listen after this one. But why do you think it is that that Celtics team doesn't necessarily get talked about? And it's Boston. Like, it's not like it's an under the radar market or a place where people are, people are willing to hate Boston teams. That's, that's clearly a thing. Why don't people, or why didn't people, why weren't they enraged when, you know, KG forced his way to the Celtics and, and, and Allen ended up going there too? Well, a couple of things. Um, one, Garnett didn't force his way – well, okay. Garnett may have forced his way to the Celtics, but Garnett was always very careful to always protect against that concept. Um, whether he, he genuinely resisted it or not, Garnett was very careful. And if you go back and you read up on the reports, um, which weren't nearly as, as widely read because Twitter didn't exist, uh, Garnett was very careful to say, I am not necessarily asking out of Minnesota. If you want to trade me, I am open to it. Or he would like, or the reports were that he would support a trade. It was never, 
I want out. There was a huge gap between how Garnett wanted to be wanted to be presented and how he wanted to be considered, and how say Carmelo Anthony wanted to be considered with Denver. Like Carmelo was like, I don't care. Like the Nuggets fans can hate me and boo me all they want. I want to go to New York. Um, Garnett was never like that too. Like I mentioned, Twitter wasn't around, so uh, the whole kind of concept of the fury and and the hyper not just Twitter but just the hyper coverage of such things wasn't in place. Three. Boston in itself, itself, you said like it wasn't like some small like you know random city. Like it's Boston. This is a major city, but that's kind of thing is Boston has such an illustrious NBA history that they're expected to have teams like this. Like there is an expectation for the Celtics to have multiple stars because that's what they had in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s, and then the '90s happened, and then they had them again in 2000s. But th- there's always kind of been this expectation thereof. Um, and the other thing is that I think at the time, because I remember it, like at the time, it really was this huge deal, and it really was this monumentous, like monumental shakeup. But after some time, it just became like, oh, they're just the Celtics. And I wonder if that's going to happen because here's the interesting thing, though, that didn't happen with the Heat. Like, I want to know what's going to happen with the Warriors because the Celtics eventually became like, no, it's just the Celtics. Like, it wasn't ever weird. It wasn't ever like, whoa. It wasn't ever Hollywood as hell when Garnett Pierce and Allen showed up on the floor. But when LeBron and Wade and Bosch rolled into town, like, you knew it. Like, like that was a show that came through town. And I don't know whether that, what's going to happen with, and even all the way really through the end, that was kind of the case. Like, the Heat were still the Heat. Versus the Celtics were, they're the Celtics. They're a championship team. Um, they're a contender. They're led by Hall of Famers. But it wasn't the same kind of level of attention. And that's kind of, like you said, it's kind of perplexing. I think all those factors kind of combined in there. Part of that, I think, is probably that Garnett and Allen and Pierce, to a degree, were all past their super prime. And I talk a little bit about that in the piece, about how in order for it to be like a real legendary super team, like that team qualifies, but kind of just barely, because you have to have all of the, the, the people still very much in their prime. Right. And I think another thing which you kind of touched on, which is, uh, I mean, I think that Twitter, not not just Twitter, but social media thing in general is true because a, f- a phenomenon that we've seen over the last 10 years or so in, in, in especially in sports culture is, and, and not just in sports, I mean, in politics and in everything is, is rage building on rage. And whether you want to call it faux outrage or whatever it is, Rage builds on rage. You see somebody else on your timeline is pissed off, and then you see another person is pissed off, and then you see your entire timeline, your entire Facebook wall, your entire news feed, or whatever it is, and everybody's tweeting about, or Facebook statusing about, or whatever it is, the exact same thing, and they're all angry. You get angry, and it die. There's a domino effect. It's it snowballs, and and I think that's something that we've seen with the super teams too. I mean, that wasn't a that wasn't really a thing. I mean, look, we had Facebook in 2007. It was different. Social media environment was totally different. What? Jeez, that was nine years ago. So, I mean, social media was completely different nine years ago. Uh, and I don't think that. I mean, maybe, maybe the the infantile stages of that sort of effect was were, were coming into were coming into play. But it wasn't like what it is now when you kind of get you know immediate reaction to everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, I think over coverage is something too. I mean, people see something over and over and over and over again, and, and they get annoyed with this. I mean, how many times do I tweet something about Kevin Durant in the last two weeks and some Thunder fan tweets at me, why are you tweeting about Kevin Durant? He's gone. Forget about him. Like, people see things over and over again, and they and they get 
they get upset with it. If it's something that initially annoys them, then all of a sudden they get ticked off and then they get really pissed off and then it just builds. And so I, I think that's, that's, that's possibly another thing as well. I just think that that's, that's, that's an interesting – I've always thought that that was an interesting case. I think it being, them being built by trade specifically had something to do with it too. Yeah, that definitely is true. If you if you add a player in trade, it's considered to be um, appropriate. If it's added in in free agency, there is there's outrage for the because there is there's a player decision involved in that. Like the player decides, and and we still, as much as I hesitate against these kind of, I do hesitate against these kind of ideas, but I do think we still have a little bit of a problem with an empowered player. I think we still have a little bit of it. And I don't even, like, there, there's a lot that goes into that from a number of complicated perspectives. Um, the one that is less complicated than some of the other more dangerous ones is one I actually kind of agree with, which is, like, just the idea of, you know, wanting players to kind of be selfless, to just be like, I just want to help my team. Like, that's a value that we kind of been, has, have instilled in us at every level of competition from the time that we're kids. And so... The free agency is at, at its core, I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to do what's best for me. And those, those go against some of like the core values of sports. There are, again, very complicated and damaging things attached to that. Um, so I don't think that they're good. I wrote a, a huge column after KD left. Huge column. I, wrote, like, I took uh, four days to kind of wrap my head around it and let everyone else say what they were going to say. And then I, I wrote like a 3,500-word column. And one of the things that I kind of I, I really hammered home in it was, KD has the right to do this. Like, there's just no way you can get around. Like, you cannot think about this logically from any perspective and walk away with any other conclusion than KD had a right to do this. This was he had every right to do what he did. But I also was very adamant that you can't change. You cannot get away from the fact that he is not the player that we thought he was. Like he just is like that, that player that exists in our sports culture in the NBA universe is gone and is someone different. And that's okay. That doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It doesn't have to be a value judgment. It doesn't have to be coward or brave or whatever. It can just be different. And, and to be clear, I think it's interesting that so much was hammered about Oklahoma city media because they were, you know, there were negative perspectives that came out of there. Nobody hammered, Golden State media for writing things like this shows his bravery and his sacrifice and it's like look if we want to say that he's got a right and this is a business decision and this was about like an employment move I'm good with that but we get back to the conflation thing don't start adding stuff onto it like it was just Kevin Durant decided to go work somewhere else okay I can go with that but you can't start adding things onto it that just to make you make you feel better or worse about the situation I think sometimes we sensationalize processes like that. And I mean, look, Kevin Durant's free agency clearly had a massive effect on the rest of the league. Like there's, there's clearly no arguing that. But, but sometimes we, you know, when we talk about how terrible it was or how great it was, like, look, Thunder fans, like I, I understand how sports works. Thunder fans deserve to and are going to be at the very least upset by that and at the very most incredibly angered by it. And I understand that's how it works. And that's the way it should work because passion in a fan base is part of what makes sports so much fun. Imagine how boring sports would be if we were just sitting around in empty gyms. It would be Orlando Summer League everywhere. It would be horrible. Uh, so, so I mean, look, it, it, fans getting, getting outraged or upset or whatever it is by that um, is fine. And I think 
I feel like some people take feel like you have to be on either end of the spectrum when they're talking about Durant's free agency. I do think it's possible to where you can say, yeah, like like you just said, where you can say he can go. I mean, I don't I don't think of him differently as a human being or I don't think less of him as a human being for leaving. Uh, He had every right to do it and he made his move and that's fine. I think some people feel like they have to say that that's okay, and then they say fans can't be upset now. He had a right to go. Now you can't be upset about that. I think it's okay for a fan to 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 look at that move, say, yeah, he had every right to do it. But you know what? Like, I think the league is a little bit less fun when a 73-win team goes out and gets one of the three best players and one of the best players in the history of the league. Like, I think it's okay for a Thunder fan to say – yeah, he had a right to do it, but like my team is worse now, and that's not fun for me. I, I that that's a totally fair thing, and I I think I saw I saw takes on either end of that, which in both sides I was just like, why can't you just be like more in the middle on this? Why do we have to be so extreme on right. either side? You know, right. it was it was weird. Yeah, I think uh, so. When LeBron left, I kept saying I was like, everyone else needs to shut up about it, but Cleveland gets to feel however they want about it. You get to, I, I believe this in all walks of life. You get to feel however you feel about it. Like, in large part, any, any, rudimentary, any rudimentary examination of psychology will teach you that feelings are not something that we control. They're not neurocognitive processes. They're, they're built upon impulses, and it's, they're very instinctual, and they're things that we don't fully understand, to be quite honest, from a neuroscience perspective. So if we don't understand them. We can't possibly hope to contain them. You don't get to say, like, you shouldn't feel this way. That's not how it works. You, get, you feel however you feel. How you act on those responses is definitely part of your responsibility as a mature adult. Like, kids get to feel however they want about it. Like, and I always, to be honest, like, this is, like, the sentimental side of me. Like, I, I, this, whenever a guy leaves a market, I do, that's what I think of. When, I was, when, when KD left, like, my first thought was, man, like, there's a bunch of kids in OKC with jerseys. And yes... There are going to be people in Seattle that had jerseys. Everyone gets sad, but like I can feel bad for them another time. Um, I think you get to feel however you feel. Like Cleveland fans running on court and the burning of jerseys and like death threats and like comments at LeBron's mother and comments at LeBron's wife and like people gathered outside his house after the decision. Like nuts stuff. You know, like those kind of actions built off of emotions are wrong but those are actions and not feelings and like at the end of it like yeah like i think i think if you're an oklahoma city fan and you were just like i understand it good luck kevin like you have remarkable maturity but i think you could also say like how much of a fan really were you because part of like the whole fan experience is it kind of overcomes you with emotion um it really does kind of it, it builds it creates something greater in you both for the good and the bad it's why, like most sports writers, when they go from being fans to writers, when they, that kind of transition happens in being a professional, you feel the loss of that, but you also kind of enjoy the fact that you no longer suffer the negatives as well. Like that level, that new kind of, that new kind of experience is kind of gratifying in how um, cold and lifeless it is. I don't miss being a Clippers fan. Not. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Growing up a Clippers fan, like. I've said to my father that allowing me to become a Clippers fan and a Jets fan as a young child should be considered some form of child abuse. Yeah, that's CPA stuff, man. Like, that's just got to call up somebody and that is wrong. There should be a, at least a fine involved in that. The most now, – now, I've had a pretty good life, I realize, in saying this. But I would say most of the saddest moments of my life have involved the Clippers and the Jets. 
Like that they have they've led to so much depression and, and anxiety in my life. I would say the most anxious times. Like just just being on edge, like about about to just stressed out of my mind have become from the Clippers and the Jets when I was like eleven years old. Um, you know, when the Clippers were just consistently horrible and the Jets were either not good or losing in the most heartbreaking possible fashion in the playoffs. Uh so so yeah. Yeah, I mean sports sports are rational. Jerry Seinfeld has has a really funny bit about rooting for laundry, which is like probably a twenty year old bit, but is worth googling and is is on YouTube. Uh, and it's it's very funny, and it's about how we exclusively now now it's just kind of a saying. Now we say you root for laundry, but that's actually from a Seinfeld bit, I think, uh, which is which is really funny. Uh, so something in your in your your super teams piece, you mentioned the Thunder is not a super team, and. Your logic is right. You said they had to. You have to sign somebody or trade for somebody to be a super team. The Thunder draft everybody, so so they're disqualified. It wasn't based on quality. Um, I'm just wondering. I mean, so I'm I'm part of the the dreaded Homer Oklahoma City media. Um, what what do you think is going to end up? Because Durant's gone now. Ibaka's gone. Harden's gone. In 20 years, when we look back on this team, what's their legacy? Like, are they? It's something that I've been struggling to to figure out so far. I mean, I think we. I just need more to be removed a little bit more, just a little bit more time to kind of figure out exactly what the legacy is going to be. Are they going to be the 90s Jazz? Um, like, I, I really don't. I'm not sure how people are going to remember um, the Thunder. Are they going to remember them? I don't think they're going to remember it as a, be remembered as a full out success, just because in in 2010, 2011, 2012, when they're in the finals, you look at that roster with Ibaka and Harden and Durant and Westbrook, and you think this team's going to be back here at least a few more times. Um, and then, you know, Harden gets traded and, and, and they have some injuries and they have some unfortunate luck and they just, they never even make it back there. I mean, they, they made it back to what, four Western conference finals in six years, but it's, um, I don't know if it's going to be looked back back as a success. And I feel weird saying that because I've always been the person that says that you shouldn't – it shouldn't be championship or bust. It's such a silly mentality to be championship or bust. Making it to the Western Conference Finals four times in six years is an amazing accomplishment. And you can make a very, very legitimate argument that four times in six years in the Western Conference Finals is way more impressive than one championship and then never getting close to there again in six years. Um but but at the same time, like, it's just hard for me to figure out exactly what the legacy is going to be for this team because of that dichotomy, you know? Failure and success in sports is dictated by expectation. It is entirely dictated by expectation. Um, because you can't, you can't fail if you, win a t- if you win a championship. However, um, you can fail in a quest to be a great team. Like, if you're supposed to be an all-time great team... I don't think that that I, I maintain that anyone that was there and really watched those teams would not believe that the 2010 Lakers or really even the 2009 Lakers were a great team, uh, not an all-time great team. They were the best team that season by a pretty wide margin both years, um, but that doesn't make them great teams. I don't put those Lakers on on stack with the 2014 Spurs, the 2012 Heat, the 2013 Heat. Um, the 2015 Warriors, uh, the 2007 Spurs, I don't put them in, in those kind of conversations. They, I just don't think they were as good. They were a championship team, but they weren't all-time great. Um, and so I think it's okay. Like 
every team is going to have expectations on it based off of the personnel and the situation. And the Thunder's situation brought the expectation of winning a championship because you had two top five players in the league. We lose a lot in that. We lose, you know, how much it takes everything else, how hard it is to get the Western Conference Finals four out of six years. Um, we lose track of, you know how hard it is to develop two of the best five players in the league? Like, they don't get any credit for that. We act like like talent is inherent. But the reality is that many players, and players would tell you this, because they're like, man, I played this guy in high school. Like, he could have been one of the all-time greats. Well, why didn't he? And it's like, well, for me- mental reasons. But, like, a lot of times it's like, well, he got drafted here, and then, like, he didn't really have the situation. And then, like, this, this and then he got injured, and, like, it's opportunity. Players always say that. It's like all about opportunity. The Thunder gave their best players the opportunity to be two of the top five best players in the league. Um, how will I view them? I think the best comparison to me is that they're going to be a better version of, of how real basketball aficionados look back at Kemp, Payton, Sonics. That's a very good comparison in terms of Kemp. It's at an his, ironic pick, too. Kemp at his best was a force of nature. And Gary Payton really has slipped under the radar for an all-time point guard. That guy was incredible on both ends of the floor. Um, and they were so much fun to watch. And it was an experience. While, like, like That was a team that while, while Jordan was dominating the headlines, like I loved, I would just do anything possible to get my Sundays free to watch that team on national television. It was insane. Um, I think that we'll probably look at them as a better version of that. It's a shame to me because, you know, four out of six times they made the Western Conference Finals. That should have been good enough. And that should have been, honestly, it should have been good enough for KD. Like, it should have been good enough for KD. No matter what they offered him, I, I not should have been. Again, it's his decision. But I always, I, you can't help but put yourself in that situation. And I just wind up walking back at me and like, this team drafted me, believed in me, helped me grow, put me in the best position, Help me win MVP. Help me get to the finals. Help me get to four of six. At some level, I'd be like, look, man, y'all done your job. You, you're willing to pay me. You're going to offer me top dollar. You've put a top five player next to me. You've clearly shown that you're willing to make moves in order to try and get more talent. Did you screw up with, with certain trades? Maybe it's complicated. I don't want to get into that here. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Like We act like what, the Thunder were supposed to never make a mistake? They're just supposed to never make a mistake because they're supposed to be the Warriors and get gifted with Steph Curry's ankle, limiting him to a $13 million deal, which a former coach on that staff told me we didn't know if he was ever going to be a 55-game play game player per season ever. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, but I think that in time we're going to look back at this, and I, at least I'm going to look back on it that era fondly. And I'm going to be sad that it got broken up and say, like, man, that was a special combination. Watching Westbrook and Durant, for as much as everybody complained about how much it didn't work or the stagnation or whatever, when they were on, that team was a terror, and it was so much fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this team, the irony here is that this team may have peaked in the final series it ever played. Like the best, the best series that this team ever played may have been the last series it ever played when they lost to the Warriors. Um, they were they were rolling. Like they 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 played so well those final three games against San Antonio. Um, and you know I realized that the 2016 Thunder are totally different from the 2011 Thunder. And I realized that some of my listeners are probably really that doesn't help their depression hearing them say that. But the best series that this team ever played, and I, you know, I I say that with the full acknowledgement that they were up three one and didn't win the series. But the the best series, the best stretch of basketball 
of playoff basketball that this team ever played. I think you can make a legitimate argument was the last few games that that it really played with Durant on the roster too. Like they, it, it had a future. Um, so it was. I don't know. I, I, I I'll write a piece at some point on kind of where where they stand. But um, I just it, it's it's so hard. You know what I mean? Like it's it's hard to say that a team that went to so many Western Conference Finals and had a Finals appearance didn't reach didn't didn't meet a, a an arbitrary goal that we set for it from the outside. You know, and, and say that that's and say that that's fair. But at the same time, it's also I think hard to argue that that it fulfilled its entire potential. Yeah. When did when did they lose to a worse team? Like that's that's part of the thing I always get back to is okay, you know, 2011. You can maybe argue they lost to a worse team, but the Mavericks were special that year, and the the Thunder just weren't ready. Like they just weren't ready that year. 2012, they lost to the best player in his best season. I will put 2012 LeBron up over any of them, and I've done a lot of research on this. 2009, 2013 are the other candidates for the best seasons of LeBron James ever. I will take 2012 for what he added in the post and how he played defense that year. I will t- so he, he, you faced that team with that combination of talent. No, like I'm sorry, like that. You know, it's okay for the Thunder to lose in 2012 in the finals to LeBron. Um, you know, 2013 is the argument. That's, that's the that's the Memphis series, but that's Westbrook. I know. I'm. I, I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with your point. I'm just saying, if there's an argument, that's that's yeah, the you, argument. You can't. No, I, I will say this as like a Memphis guy. Like you take Westbrook off of that team, and like they really. And this is a. This is something I'm kind of be kind of interested to see with the Warriors. Actually, is like Tony Allen found ways to really disrupt KD. Like oh, he was awesome in that series. There are there are ways to bother KD. There are ways to do it. It's tough, and he gets better every day. But there are ways, and without Russ, Memphis was able to do that. With, with Russ, they definitely win that series. So I, I, to me, it's just like they got hurt. So 2014, right? San Antonio. And Ibaka. Ibaka hurt. Ibaka. You, you, lose to, you lose to a Spurs team that put on the best shooting performance I have ever seen. Even counting the Warriors, I've never seen a team shoot like San Antonio did in the 2014 finals. Like They were just insane that year. And you had the Ibaka injury. Like, and you went to overtime in game six. Like, you went to overtime in game six. You lost in overtime to one of the best teams ever in overtime. I, I got to give you the pass. And then, you know, 2015, KD. 2016, you got beat after being up 3-1 because Clay Thompson had himself a game. Like, and it, it's... It's very easy to say, yeah, but if you're having to say, yeah, but all these times, there's got to be something in there. You can say that, but to me, I'm just like, I don't know, man. I just think sometimes, I just think winning the title is hard. I think, I think for most teams, it's really hard because I think if you look at it, Dirk Nowitzki is one of the all-time best players that we've ever seen. He's got one title. Kevin Garnett is one of the best players we have ever seen. One title, one. It's. It's it's it, there's so much luck that goes into it too. I mean, there really is every year. I mean, that's that's why the 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 Warriors got lucky narrative from two years ago is so silly to me because not because they didn't get lucky, they did get lucky, but because every single team that's won the championship ever has gotten lucky, I, and that's they, there's so much luck that goes I disagree. Into it. You I disagree. Dis- I disagree. Here, here's here's actually what a, the very slight shift I have 
come to understand about that. Uh, it's not that every team that has ever won the title has gotten lucky. It is that every team that has ever won the title has managed to not get unlucky to a certain to the to the threshold. That's fine. I won't. I won't argue with you on it, that. It I sounds mean, that's that's a that's a debate over the definition of luck. And no, luck, I know, but, it, but it's it sounds like semantics. I get that, but it's different in that if you're lucky, that means that fortune bounced your way. And most teams, it, what it really means is that nothing catastrophic happened to you. A bunch of catastrophic things happened to the Thunder. Like a whole series of them happened to the Thunder, yeah. including like the Harden situation, which again. In 20 years, there will be a breaks of the game about what happened with that entire city, about this Thunder team. Somewhere, someone's going to write that book. And then we're going to be like, oh, that, that is not what we thought. Okay, that situation looks entirely different now. Yeah, which is, which is honestly part of why I think it's difficult to, to figure out how we're going to look back on this team. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's tough to know this stuff from the outside sometimes. Quickly before we go... Uh, what was your reaction when you saw the DM waiters contract? I was mad because I have a thing set up to automatically delete my tweets just because <laughs> I find them to be disposable. And honestly, I want to keep my total down so that it doesn't look as horrific and, and embarrassing. 300,000 isn't, uh, I, I think there's a threshold for that. Shut I, up. Think, I, think, I think once you get to like 200,000, that's kind of all the same. But it's not. That's the thing. Is to me, it's very much not because I just found myself like like watching me like no. How did I go up by this much again? Um, so I had actually tweeted several weeks ago on like July like fourth um, before KD's whole thing or after at some point uh, about when there was talk of like Wade and and like this could really happen. He could really leave. Um, I tweeted, you know, from the rubble a single flag for waiter of Waiters Island rises over Heat Nation. Um, and so I'm mad that that got deleted. That was my first reaction. You know, I think I felt bad for him because I've, I, I've really, I was, I was hard on waiters as a prospect, as a draft pick, as a rookie, as a soft. Like, I've been hard on him the whole way. Like, so much about his game bugged me. And yet this year I was like, man, he really got it. Like, he just, he decided that he was going to be a team player. He was a fourth weapon. He was complimentary. He played defense. He did everything that he was asked to do. Like he, he made the sacrifices to be a winning player this season. And his reward was that he lost a lot of money. And I was like, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. I, you know, I, I still think he's in the position to where, and I think you would agree with me on this. I, I think he's in the position where he's 24 years old. And if he comes out, it, it almost seems like, I mean, look, it's, it's clearly a, a prove it to me contract. Um, and, and, you know, he can become a free agent next year if he doesn't pick up his player option. It it seems to me like if he goes out there and has another year with Miami where he kind of mends, he's done a lot of the housekeeping on his actual reputation, but it clearly wasn't all the way there. And whether that's fair or not, that, that was what dictated part of the market for him, at least to some degree. Um, and, and it feels like if he goes to Miami and has another year where he just, from a, from a mental aspect, from personality standpoint and from a production standpoint is the same player that he was this past year. Um, it, it seems like he, he could just be able to get his money, you know, you know, if, if, you know, unless there's injury or something along those lines, it seems like he'll be able to get his money next year anyway. I hope so. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. That Miami team is, the Miami team is kind of held together by a thread. 
it's like, a it's, weird team. It's I, we realize we're like, man, if Goran Dragic or Hassan Whiteside miss ten games, not both. If either one miss ten games, this team probably misses the playoffs. I, I don't even know if it's a playoff team as is, but it could be. It that's could, what, it could be, but I mean, what, if it is, well, it's like a bottom, it's like a bottom three, but, you know, it's a six, seven, eight seed. If it is, but that's that's what's crazy about the East, though, is like there's so much fluctuation where there's just not a lot you can count on in the East. You can count on Cleveland, Boston, and Toronto. Those I, are the three teams. I think Indiana's good. I think Indiana's good, but their bench is very worrisome. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say very worrisome. I think Indiana is 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 solidly a playoff team. I like them a lot. I mean, I think I'm, I think they're going to be like the fifth seed, but I think at some point you have to kind of. I, I don't know. I I have concerns about them as much as I do Detroit or any or a number of other teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just I I guess my point is I just I wouldn't even put Miami in that in that realm. That's that's a weird. It's just a weirdly comprised team, and that Tyler Johnson contract I thought was weird. Look, I like Tyler Johnson. I think he's a good player. Uh, it's not even the total money that makes me think it's a weird contract. It's just. The poison pill in it. The question is basically, if Tyler Johnson were a free agent in 2018, would you sign him to a two-year, $40 million deal right now? And no, I wouldn't do that, especially given his injury history. So that was, Tyler Johnson said that he threw up when he saw the money. Even Tyler Johnson was like, whoa, Tyler Johnson's getting that money? Like, (laughs) like, like, Tyler Johnson said, Manny Navarro tweeted out today from Miami Herald. Did you see that? He tweeted out today, Tyler Johnson said he threw up when he saw the money. I saw that. Um, you know, I, I want. I do think it's going to be interesting to see with OKC. I want to know what Sam Presti does because they were. I have to commend them because after Durant leaves, I've seen so many teams when the star leaves, they just start plugging in bad contract veteran replacements, trying to keep themselves in playoff contention, and like Presti kept austerity, like. That there was a level of restraint shown by the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and that will be, you know, that's often criticized as being cheap. But they really like they they didn't commit themselves to any huge mistakes, and I thought that was a very smart move on their part. Right. I mean, look, I, I think there are moments in the Thunder's history where you can criticize them for you know being cheap or not spending the way that people want them to spend or whatever it is, and I, I think that's fair. And and I even joked about like the Thunder driving around in the Hamptons looking for a hotel and staying at a Holiday Inn. And I joked about how like, come on, Clay Bennett, just pay for a pay for a helicopter. Come on, man. Like you can do that. But but like, I, I, I this wasn't an example of being cheap. Um, they don't want to give out bad contracts beyond this year, and they have to stay under the cap in order to just leave open the possibility of re-signing Westbrook. Because whether it, whether you think that Westbrook, you have to be nine million under to renegotiate and extend Westbrook, and and whether you think that Westbrook is or isn't going to, if you think that chance is greater than zero percent that he's going to re-sign, you have to leave open the possibility. Can you imagine how terrible of an organizational move that would be if they didn't leave open the possibility, and then Westbrook came to him and was like, you know what, let's do this, let's extend, and they were like, ah. Uh, we can't. We spent our money on Mario Chalmers. Like, can you imagine how terrible that would be? So, right. so, uh, so. I mean, look, and, and I don't mean to knock Mario Chalmers. I like Mario Chalmers, but, but I mean, that's you know the first free agent that came to my head. But, but you know, I think one thing that will be interesting, I think, is is eventually somebody needs to write a piece, and I'm not sure how. I certainly don't have the reporting chops to do so, but I think it needs to be done. Of okay, why can't small markets pay the tax? Because I don't think that they can. I think that there's a certain level of 
there's a certain point where the numbers, like really just from a, I can't afford to keep hemorrhaging money like this, that actually does come into play. But I have to understand it better because what ends up coming across is just that these markets are just cheap. And I don't think that's the case. I think that there is a reason why Memphis can't pay the tax, OKC can't pay the tax. Like I think there's a reason why that's the case. Someone, I think, eventually is going to have to write it. So that's my suggestion for you know someone that that, that lives in the in the market and covers the team uh, for a local paper and has time on his hands now that Kevin Durant's no longer around. I don't know anyone who fits that description. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't tell you one person. Uh, before before we head out, what are you up to the rest of what are you up to the rest of the summer? Are you just uh, you taking any time off? Are you doing anything? Uh, I'm off right now. Actually, I'm on this podcast with you on my vacation. Um, oh wow, I didn't know that. I'm what? A, what a team player you are! I am it's selfless. I'm telling you, sacrifice, man. Um, helping, out, helping out Freddie from the script. Freddie from the script. Um, no, I'm on vacation right now. My in-laws are in town, and we're doing some uh, hiking up in Rocky Mountain. I'm climbing my first 14er later in August. I'm climbing something called the Twin Sisters Peaks here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I hope to knock out four to five more uh, alpine lake hikes over the next two months. Um, other than that, I am going to be actively trying to hide from watching USA basketball because I loathe international competition because it is not actual competition. It's so, um, it's so boring. And other than that, I'm going to be going to the trampoline park with my kid a lot. I've got a one-month-old that I will be taking a lot of care of as my wife heads back to school. Uh, she's a teacher at CSU in a month. Um, and other than that, I'm going to be playing a lot of Overwatch. That's my other big plan for the summer is to play a great deal of Overwatch. How boring is Team USA basketball? It's I don't want to, like, I, I get it. Like, it's, oh, it's all these great players together, but I just, you know, and I'm, I'm higher on international basketball than I ever have been because I cover the Denver Nuggets, and it just kind of eventually beats it out of you. Like, eventually you just kind of just like, wow, there's a lot of really good, talented international players. Um, so there's some guys I'm excited to watch, but just... You, I, I kind of go back to, there's a Bill Hicks quote. He's a comedian, was a comedian. And he says, a war is when two countries are fighting. Like, that's how I feel about Team USA. I'm like, a basketball game is when, no, when two actual basketball teams are playing. Like, this is a basketball team and, like, a half a basketball team. And that's, like, down the line. Like, France got Rudy Gobert, and so they're kind of a threat. And then, like, other than that, like, Argentina fell off, Brazil fell off. Spain's even fallen off because Mark's out. Like, there's just no real hope for any competition, and it's all happening in poop-infested waters of Rio this summer. Yeah. Oh man, we don't even need to talk about Rio. But I, I, the thing is, I really like international basketball. Like, I really like Olympic basketball. Like, Spain plays France. That's always fun. Like, like I'm excited to watch Sabonis play with Lithuania and and watch him play in like a live game in which I have some like vested interest in in seeing how one of those guys does like i i i like watching olympic basketball that's all fun but team usa is just like all right like mellow mellow goes off in the third quarter against china like that's that's fun to watch but like there's nothing really impressive you know because every time it happens i'm like well of course deandre jordan can dunk on that guy i've never heard of you know like it's 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 just like it's totally well like a lot of it's like competition well, here's what here's what's interesting because like Zach Lowe or Zach Lowe, Zach Harper really likes it, um, and he always makes fun of me because he's like, "You'd rather watch mediocre basketball," and it's true though. Like, I'd rather watch Hornets Bucks on a Tuesday in February than 
you know, Team USA versus, you know, New Zealand on a Wednesday in August. I just don't, I, I am much more keen to, you know, oh, what's it, how are these players developing? What's the long-term narrative? How is this going to fit? How is the scheme developing? This was really working early. Why isn't this lineup working? You know, oh, this player's doing well. Oh, that was a really great dunk. Like, oh, man, this, seems, this, this game's actually getting pretty good. Oh, they're trading shots. Like, that's actually competitive versus like, oh, hey, Team USA just bounced the ball off the scoreboard and, and headbutted it in again. Like, I just don't care. You know what? Uh, are, are there any are there any Olympic sport? Like, are you an Olympic fan in general? Do you like the Olympics? Uh, it's very hit or miss for me. I guess here's the thing: is that the Olympics are not something that I will ever be like, "Oh, I gotta turn this on." But if I like see that something is on either on Twitter or if I happen to cross across it for whatever reason, I'd be like, "Oh, I could watch that." Particularly, I like handball. I really like handball. Everyone's got their random Olympic sport that they love, which they don't really know why, and they only watch it every four years. Minus water polo. Yeah. Love it. It's such a fun sport to watch. Yeah, I feel it's, bad for the horses. Yeah. No, no, water polo. No, I know. I just joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. The horses are all drowning. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's so much fun. It's so physical, and they are ridiculous athletes. And I couldn't tell you the first thing about it. I, I, I like, barely know the rules, and I watch it the same way, like – like I watch it the way that like my girlfriend watches basketball when she's watching NBA with me. Like she she just learned that you can trade someone in the middle of the <laughs> season. Like she 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 she's like so Russell Westbrook. I was explaining to her the Westbrook thing. She's like, Yo, so Westbrook has to be traded by by like October when games start. And I was like, no, 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 the trade. There's a trade deadline, and that's in February. She's like, but they can't trade him in the middle of the season. She's like incredulous to how you can trade someone in the middle of the season. She's that's like, awesome. what? But the rosters are set up, and your team's gelling. You're good to go. How can you just trade someone and not even tell them? Like, <laughs> that's amazing. She's, she's like, but that's that like that like never happens, right? They would they would never actually do that. I'm like, no, it, it actually happens like all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> it actually might be more common than during the off season. Uh, but like, yeah, that's how I watch water polo, but I love it. It's so much fun. Um, the two sports that I wish were big in America, uh, for me to, that I would instantly stop covering basketball to cover are handball and basketball. Those are the two things that I would just instantly <laughs> switch to go cover. Basketball, basketball is a funny movie. I like basketball. People say it's bad and I have no idea what they're talking about. I just cannot, I can't understand what they're saying. Like there's, I love everything about basketball. I love every single thing about it. It's very funny. Team Team America is better. If, it if, is. If I'm playing the South Park guys game, I, I'm. I think Team America is better. But basketball is 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 very funny. I think. Yeah, it is. Uh, what do you have to plug? Any? I mean, know you're on vacation now. Any anything you're working on in the long term or? Uh, let's see. I'm working on a large thing about. I'm hoping to. We'll have to see how some calls go. Um, I'm hoping to talk to some people. I want to do a huge thing on on post play. Because I think next season we're going to see a huge resurgence of it. I think next season we're going to see more post-play than we've seen in a while. I think it's going to come from places that we don't expect it. I think the Warriors, I think the the Rockets, I think that um, a lot of teams that we don't necessarily expect it from are going to be running a lot of post-play. And I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. Um, I'm also working on... uh, What was I doing? And I'm looking at uh, what's it going to take to make in the, the playoffs in the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference next season in terms of win, of win totals and overall conference strength of, from the perspective of trying to make the playoffs, how tough are each going to be after last season? 
Cool. And Matt, you're at HP Basketball on Twitter or Hardwood Paroxysm. Um, if I assume people follow you already, if they're listening to this podcast, I imagine they already follow you. If you don't, you probably should. Matt's a, a very prominent basketball Twitter member. Before we head out, just a reminder with things dying down, I'm recording this. I've been recording this every week and I will continue to going through Friday. But next week, I'm only doing one show. I'm going to take some vacation time of my own. I'm back on Thursday, August 4th for that one show. It's going to be out the normal time in the morning after that, going to two shows a week until the middle of September. Those are going to run on Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings. I may throw in a couple extra shows here and there if there's breaking news or something newsworthy happens or something along those lines. If you're subscribed to the show, you'll be all good on getting those. You can also download those in your normal spot or find us on audioboom.com. Remember, you can head to iTunes and, and subscribe there. If you have questions or comments, email lockdownthunder at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. I don't tweet quite as much as Matt, although I do think I tweet a lot. Log on to normantranscript.com for all your Thunder needs. And check out Thunder Road. That's my blog there to follow team coverage and what's next for the Thunder. That's going to do it for today. I'm back with you tomorrow for more Thunder and NBA talk. Until next time, Locked on Thunder is locking up. Locked on Thunder.